Hello, busy professionals, and welcome to episode number 30 of the You Deserve a Luxury Vacation podcast. In this episode, we discuss our amazing trip to Ghana. I give you my perspective and also the perspective of my two travel buddies. We're going to give you everything you need to know to plan your vacation to Ghana. So let's take a listen. Welcome. You're listening to the You Deserve a Luxury Vacation podcast, where I provide valuable information to help busy professionals plan their next luxury vacation. I'm your host, Belvin Baldwin II. So let the planning begin. All right, we're back. So happy to welcome everybody to the You Deserve a Luxury Vacation podcast. I got Tito and Scott here. They were my uh, travel buddies as we ventured into Ghana. So we're going to talk about our experience in Ghana so you can get a better understanding when you're ready to plan your next trip to Ghana, hopefully with Showtime Travel. So let's first talk about it. What was, I guess, the feeling when you told friends and family that you were going to Ghana? Uh, Let's start with you, Tito. I want to first tell everybody I was going to Ghana that you really going to Africa, I was like, yeah, I'm going. Like, why are you going? I, was, I just felt like it you knows it's, it's experience I need to have as, as a African American. I need to go home and, and see where you came from because everyone else does it all around the world to see where they came from. So I felt like, hey, that's something heck I need to do in this lifetime because right now life is short. We need to experience everything we can. Okay. So Scott, what about you? Very same uh, reaction from my group of people as well. No matter what the educational background was, no matter what the level of professionalism or they travel or not travel, everybody pretty much was the same thing. You going to Africa? <laughs> I was like, yeah. They were airplanes that go there every day. And um, with that being said, I explained to them why I was going, much like to Tito's response, what have you. This is where we're from. Uh, most of our DNA is right there from the Gold Coast of Africa, what have you. And um, it's one thing to study, to read it, to see videos about it. But until I was convinced, until I walked the ground and breathed the air and sat and eat with the people, where I get a full appreciation for it. That's why I went and that's why I told people. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people have a variety of misconceptions about Africa. And it was taught to us as the dark continent growing up. So you a lot of misnomers when it comes to Africa. But this was my second trip to Africa. My first was Morocco. And then you have a lot of people who go to Egypt. And sometimes even South Africa, those are kind of more of the more popular countries within Africa. But when it comes to West Africa, Ghana, I think it's a different look and feel. I'm happy that we took that plunge and we and we uh, went to Ghana. But this was the first time where I had to do a lot of pre-trip activities prior to even going to visit Ghana. So let's talk about that. First of all, we have to talk about the visa. You have to get a visa if you're from the U.S. to go to Ghana. So, Scott, tell us about your uh, visa experience. Absolutely. The visa was very, very straightforward. We applied for our visa through the uh, Ghana Embassy out of Washington, D.C., and uh, it was as advertised. Everything they said they was going to do on their website, they did on their website. They returned our passport with the visa as they said they would. All we had to do was go through a series of questionnaires, provide the appropriate paperwork, such as where would we be staying, who was all contact while we're there, how long will we be there, why are we coming, do you have a yellow fever shot, and so on and so forth. 
once we checked all those boxes, the process of actually getting our visa was within a week, literally within a week. Right. And everything was online. The only thing that I would call a hiccup, your credit card companies will flag the moment you go to pay for that visa, what have you, because they see it as a foreign transaction. So look forward to that being flagged, which is a good sign your credit card company is doing the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think all three of our credit cards did get flagged when we tried to make our payment. But I, of course, it went through. The yellow fever was a first for me traveling. So I had to make sure that I got my yellow fever vaccination. Tito, talk about your experience when it comes to the uh, yellow fever vaccination. Well, first thing I had to say about the yellow fever shot, shop around. Don't go to the first place that you ex- get a price for because, you know, our experience of having prices from like $300 to like $180 where I end up using I ended up getting my shot done because, like I said, because a lot of places are, you know, I guess they're into it for a different reason. They're trying to make as much money as they can. But I was able to go to my local county health department and I was able to get mine done for $188. So that's one thing I do say about the yellow fever shot. Um, you know, shop around. Don't go to your first place that you do inquire about getting a shot with. But like I said, the process is, you know, it, it was an easy process of getting online and submitting all information. Um, you just have to make sure that you, you know, it's a lot of, you know, copying and downloading and things like that to send in all your information and thing. But you know, it was a smooth process after you after you do all that. They got it back in a timely manner, like so also I do, like I said, to expedite it a little bit earlier, pay that extra fee to make sure you do get it back. And so like we did submit ours probably about three to four weeks before we left, which could be you know short you know short notice, but we did do that just in case. Just make sure we guys got our um, documents back at a timely manner. Yeah, I think we got it back uh, pretty quick. And I think five or seven days, we both paid for the expedite just to be safe and sorry. I would suggest, though, if anybody's planning on going, I did the multiple entry. So with the multiple entry, you're going to get, of course, multiple entries instead of the single entry. And I get to go without filling out a visa application for five years. So just keep that in mind. If you think that you're going to go back to Ghana, I would suggest checking that multiple entry box. So let's talk about it now that we got everything, all our preparation to go to Ghana and we got everything. So we took a Delta flight. We've all flew from Atlanta with a layover in JFK. After our layover in JFK, it was probably about a nine hour flight to Ghana. We land in the airport. I think uh, it was about two o'clock their time. Just talk about the process to actually once we got out the airport. Scott, just talk about once we landed, what we had to go through as we went through customs and everything else. Absolutely. The moment we landed, uh, one of the things that we went through was a uh, COVID checks uh, stop point. And what they wanted to do is check your paperwork to see if you had the COVID test prior to coming. And then the next checkpoint was, guess what? You're going to take a COVID check now, a test now that you're on the ground. <laughs> so we got that COVID test, what have you, and continued the process. And as we went through immigration services and so on and so forth, they uh, directed us to our luggage and so on and so forth. But we couldn't quite leave yet. We waited on the results for our COVID test after we landed on the ground there in Accra. So um, once the COVID test came back, they would call your name or you show them your information, your passport, and they would say, yay or nay, you're good to go. Your COVID test came back negative once you're on the ground at Accra, and we went on our merry way. So it's very, very straightforward. But I must say, the fact that we had our things done and paid 
prior to getting there, we prepaid for our COVID test once we landed on the ground, uh, before we landed on the ground, else would have been a little bit more. So I strongly suggest that everybody prepay what they can and your process will be so, so much smoother. Yeah, I agree as well. So Tito, I mean, you saw some people firsthand who didn't pay. I mean, what did you see, you know, at the airport when the people didn't prepay? Yeah, it was just a case of like um, when those people got off the plane, because they're going to get you soon as you call off the plane. They're going to like, hey, do you have your paperwork to go ahead and take a COVID test? And if you say yes, you go into a different line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're going to be sitting there and waiting for a while because you have to fill out, fill out another form and then you have to submit a payment and everything like that. And, you know, you have to go on your credit card and make that payment and everything like that. So that's going to cause a little delay for you getting off that plane because they're going to get you soon as you come off the plane. But we were able to just go with us have already having our paperwork done and done and everything and show that we made payment. We were able to go directly in there and get our COVID test done, and which took you no know, matter matter of minutes. Then they directed us right in the, in the customs so we can get, get everything stamped and everything went on to our luggage. So it was a it was a good process. And, you know, I'm glad Melvin thought of that we'll get that prepaid because if we didn't, there's no telling how much longer we would have been in there. But but like I say, that was a good process coming in. I thought it would take a lot longer than it did, but we were in and out of that time manner, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think we were in and out of it. We got in. It was pretty good that we had some contacts there to, to help us get through. In fact, that almost kind of scared me a little bit when that guy uh, pulled us out the line or pulled us out the line. And uh the good thing is we had some good friends in Ghana who was who, you know, had pulled some strings and got us through, which was great. And they already had the process was was amazing. In fact, I wish they would teach that in the U.S. I mean, they did a COVID test right then and there. You knew your status uh, as soon as you got your luggage. They checked your basically by your passport number to see if you passed or failed. And then we were out of the airport. So quick, fast, in a hurry. So now that we're out of the airport, I think they said they just built that airport maybe two or three years ago. So it's pretty much a brand new airport. Looks nice. When we were just driving through the city of Accra, what was your first initial thoughts? So many people. <laughs> it was just like, when you, as soon as you get there, just like all the people there. And, and the great thing about it, you see a bunch of us. <laughs> and it's just, it was a warm feeling, you know, everyone's there just speaking. And like I said, when we first got there, we got to go into the city and just see the people. So it was a great experience. I, and when I landed there and, and came out the airport and I rolled into the city, I just, it felt like I just like, hey, we're home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it felt like you were home. That's what I, I would say, too. It felt like you were home. It was crowded, but that's what you expect in an urban city. I mean, that's the major hub across in Ghana. So that I, it was a feeling of, you know, I've traveled many places, but this was kind of, a, you're right, it was home. You felt a connection to the people, even though you've never seen them before. Even our contacts there, I mean, they knew how to dap us up before. It just felt natural. You felt comfortable. So what about you, Scott? Oh, absolutely. Uh, to dovetail what Tito said and what have you, once once we landed and we got out of the airport and what have you, one thing that blew my mind was just the astronomical number of markets on the street. You could go and buy a coaxial cable for your TV and right next to the cable is fresh bananas and plantains and watermelons or whatever it may be, or your insulin or what have you, or your Johnny Walker Black Label. I mean, it was just amazing markets upon markets upon markets and just the love that the people had there. And uh, I swear to God, it seemed like I seen my cousins every other block, people that right. look like me. Walk like me and built like me, what have you. 
I was like, man, I'm home. I'm down <laughs> in South Georgia for have you. But it, it was a wonderful experience, especially when we got on the ground. Right, right. So, I mean, we did it all. We did a lot each day. So we went straight into the market and, you know, going through the market, we got kind of our suits, uh, we got fitted for our suits uh, for, that we were going to get at the end of the trip. And that was something in itself, you know, here we are getting fitted and in the marketplace and they're doing everything, making sure that the neck size, the length, the arm length is just right. You know, making sure the bust, the stomach, everything is the, the hips and everything are just right. So that was an experience in itself. They wanted to make sure that we were fitted to the T. What did you think about that, Tito, uh, once we got in there and started uh, getting fitted for our suits? Amazing. Like I said, we got into the city, went to the tailor, or went to the, pick the fabric out. He had so many different types of fabric. And I was just like, well, I don't, I don't know which one to pick. I just like, <laughs> I only can pick one, but it was so many, so many different fabrics to pick out. And and I say, then we actually got fitted. And then it's a great thing, too. When you have some of us doing the fitting, they know what needs to be fit. Because sometimes <laughs> if you had a tailor-made suit or anything like that, it's like, you know, it's, it's different for us and everything. Everybody else, it used to be a straight line for everybody else. We have curves. So <laughs> I was telling God, like, oh, I know about that. <laughs> you good. <laughs> I was trying to tell them stuff about, you know, getting the fitting of it. But like I said, it was a great thing to see, you know, like I said, you got all those uh, different fabrics, you know, because like me, first I, I got two of them. So I was just, that, <laughs> I was just that, uh, in love with the, the up down made it. But you know, it, was, it was a good, good experience, you know, because like I say, the tailor did an excellent job. Like I say, because after I saw the first one, I had to get a second one. So uh, it was a great experience getting that done for us. Yeah, yeah. So we all got uh, part of our custom package. We all got tailor-made outfits, you know, with the African gear. And when we first landed, they had us go straight to the market. We picked the fabric. I know Scott talk about, I mean, the fabric you picked. You picked something a little different. <laughs> so I'm blessed with a plethora of melanin. So of course, anything pastel light is gonna just bling, bling off me or what have you. So of course, with the, with the ivory white or what have you, and it was just a beautiful woven fabric. But aside from the fabric, one of the things I was most moved about, you know, I've been to many a wedding, was in my own wedding, and so on and so forth, and maybe five or six different measurements get fitted for a suit. I bet there was 20 different dimensions that was measured and fitted for us on our custom suit. Yeah. Not yeah. just our chest, our chest, our chest, low, our chest forward. I mean, it was very, very detailed and attention to detail. And, and I must admit, those are some nice, nice suits that were made custom for us. And only I can wear it. I don't have to worry about my, my son it and trying to wear it. Have you. My body, my height, my weight, my size. It was very, very detailed to my body. So we enjoyed the, the seamstress coming over with her assistant to the hotel, fitting us on site. I mean, it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. If you visit the Showtime Travel Instagram site or any of thing on social media, you'll see some of those pictures and uh, make sure that we post some of those pictures of our custom fitted suits. So let's talk. So once we get in and get settled and everything, uh, one of the first activities we got to enjoy was Labadi Beach. So... Labadi Beach was, whoa, that was an active beach, very active beach. It was a lot of people on that beach. You know, Scott, tell us about your experience on Labadi Beach. Doing my prior research before, you know, um, getting over there, what have you, I knew it was not going to be a beach that you see on pristine applications, smooth water, so on and so forth. 
the waves are a rapid and the waves are tough or have you, and it's not a swimming beach. However, what made the beach so spectacular to me were the people. I mean, people from all age groups, from babies to older people, to people horseback riding. It was just a lot of different people, just culture upon culture upon culture. You get at the beach, not at a culture center, at the meet, at the beach, just meeting people. It was just so, so moving to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I had the same. I mean, you it was almost like a big family reunion. <laughs> you had a little bit of everything. You had people from the fireman. Remember the fireman who was uh or yeah, fire, then another person was eat glass and then it was eat glass. Uh you had people with you know, you you can ride a horse there. But just like you said, it was young and old and everybody was there and you just walked up and down the beach. The great thing about it is we had our own table. What did we have there? What, what was our spirits of the, what did we have, uh, Tina? What, what were we drinking yeah. on there? Well, Hennessy and we had, well, Hennessy and our little tequila. I think we had a little tequila. Yo, we had a yak, the yak. So we had the Hennessy. <laughs> Yeah, so we had, yeah, I know we definitely had the Hennessy, so they had that all set up for us and everything. So just imagine a big family reunion on a beach, not just talking about one, I mean, just multiple family reunions on a beach. And it was just, just like I said, it's not like the Caribbean water. I I don't want you to think of Caribbean, but just think of all the people, all your cousins, all your family and friends in one place and nothing is popping off. That's yeah, the thing. That was, you know, yeah, that was all weird. these things, all these things. And it is nothing but joy and fun. You're not worried about anything else. So that's what really stood out to me. What about you, Tito? Yeah, that's one thing I just thought about, like being from the States and with that many of us in the same place at the same time, something's going to pop off. <laughs> and it was just a good, like everybody was there just having fun, just having a good time, spending time with families. And friends and just laid back and and just enjoying the day. It was, it was a beautiful day out there. The sun was out. Like I said, the waves out there were beautiful and everything like that. But it was just a beautiful thing just to be able to sit there with no words and sit back. And, you know, we also got a little massage out there with the, oh, the lady yeah, out there. Massage yeah, yeah. A little, <laughs> but we got to relax and, you know, have a couple of drinks and get a massage while we were, we were just looking at the waves. But like I said, it was just like, that was the most, you know, big thing to me. It's just like, it was just so calm and just everybody was out there just out there having a good time because I'm sorry to try to sound you no know, negative, but it's just like here in the States, that doesn't happen. You know, something's going to happen. And but yeah. it was just a case out there. Everybody's just out there just having a good time and just loving the day. Well, it, it doesn't matter where it is. Yeah, I mean, when you get a certain amount of people, you know, in the States, it, it doesn't matter who you are, what culture, what race or anything. Something usually happens. And to, to have that going on with all those people joyful and the alcohol is flowing and nobody's going crazy or anything, yeah, that's a good time. I think a lot of people are just enjoying themselves. So we're talking about the alcohol and everything. We have one more thing on the beach where one thing that really moved me and touched me. People didn't know that we were not from Ghana until we opened until our mouths. Until we talked. Yep. <laughs> they didn't say, ooh, foreigners. They went, a quava. Welcome. Mm-hmm. We're glad you came. It was just so warm and endearing, you know, just to hear that from people that right. look like me, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people, and not a police officer in sight, just doing the doggone thing. It was just a wonderful experience. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. 
So we talked about the Hennessy and the drinks and everything. So let's talk a, bit, a little bit about the restaurants there. Got to, a chance to experience a variety of different restaurants, some nightlife, some rooftop, some uh, bottomless mimosa brunches. So let's talk about which one did we go to first? We went to the brunch. Right we went over to Osu. What's that spot across from the hotel? What was that oh. place from the hotel? Was it Baku? Um, I think it was Baku. Buka. So Buka. Hotel, yeah. Yeah. So we had uh, got a chance to have a little dinner there, overview, you know, on the rooftop looking at the city. That was my first time having their, what was it called? Their, uh, what is it called? Joloff? Is that the name? I think the rice disc. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, you know, yes. I, I think they had a, a little competition between that and the Nigerian way. So, you know, everybody from West Africa has their own special spins, spin to it. That was something in itself. I really enjoyed that. We also went to, what was the, uh, the next one? I believe we had, yeah, we had brunch. Oh, I forgot the name of it, but Fat Fish. Fat Fish. That was it. Yeah. yeah. Fat Fish. So talk about that time in Fat Fish, Scott. Oh, man. Two words. Bottomless mimosa. Had <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful time with the bottom of mimosa. And, and also, you know, we've met so many people there. I mean, there was people there who had been educated at FAMU, educated at uh, Wally College, so on and so forth. Edu- some people educated in the States, but had went back home to Ghana or had moved to Ghana just to do business in Ghana. It was just a plethora of business contacts there and people that you seem like you see every homecoming at HBCU or, or something like that or what have you. But it was just so warm and endearing or what have you. And we met new friends and the service was just among the best I ever experienced or what have you. I, m- I must say, we was talking about food earlier. I think we was on the ground 10 days there total, eight, nine days there total, what have you. I think I had one dish that wasn't gunning. I mean, I was <laughs> yeah, to the yeah. We went to KFC that day. <laughs> yeah, well, we went to KFC. <laughs> we didn't have time. We were running behind, so we had to stop and get something quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. We weren't running behind. We had to get that KFC real quick. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that is true. We were there the whole time, and everything was kind of made fresh. I only went to one fast food, and that was KFC. And that was in the heart of the city, too. <laughs> That was it. I was just thinking about fat fish. You're right. When we remember when we first came in and it was that older couple who welcomed us in and they were so happy. I think she was an AKA too. What was she an AKA or, or yeah. She was so happy to welcome us in and everything. And her and her husband had been living there. And just to meet people that were already from the US, educated from the US and you know, who are just living there. Like you said, you felt at home. Felt at home. And then we went to Sandbox. You guys remember Sandbox? That was a, a little nightlife. And we got to see, you know, the music, the Afrobeats. We had to enjoy the drinks. Uh, then we had, you know, a little food as well. So right there on the beach, they even had some VIPs. You know, Tito, talk about your experience at Sandbox. It was a great experience for me at Sandbox. It was it's a nice club. You know, it's not, not one of those places that you, you just want to come in with anything on. You know, you want to you want to dress a little bit to the tee a little bit. You want to have something nice on because it was a nice, you know, nice experience. Everybody's in there dressed nicely. And, uh, 
you know, like say if you're single, whatever, you know, the, the men and the women, they come in there just nice. So you want to dress to impress and the drinks are good in there. And like I said, out in the ambiance is really nice. It's almost like an American club. You think you're an American club and it was just a nice, you know, environment to be in. Like I said, it was on the beach. So if you want to just, uh, you know, chill out and, you know, and stay inside or you want to go outside and look at the beach, look at the waves and things like that, or you can... Going to Cabana, they also had Cabanas in there. So it was all around a nice experience. You know, they had, you know, nice people in there were nice. You know, we, we got to get, get around and mingle with people. And the amount of people were like, it's so nice. You know, it was just a case of, you know, like Scott said, they didn't look at us like, oh, they, oh you must be American. No, they just look at us. We were one of them. So we just, yeah. we were able to just get around and just mingle with everybody, just talk and the time. You know, right. that, was, that was the most important thing to me because I didn't want that to stick out like a sore thumb, but everybody <laughs> just looked at it as one of them and we just, we were able to just mingle with everyone. Yeah, I think it, it was good. I mean, that was right on the beach and you could see the waves and everything, even though it was dark there. Of course, we were there at nighttime. It was a nightclub atmosphere, but I did like those cabanas or the VIP boxes, I guess you could say, on the side, which was a, a good choice, a good taste there. Another one we went to was, what was that called? Was that the Sky Bar? Yeah, so we went to Sky Bars. That was good. So we were actually on the rooftop there. So uh, talk about that, Scott. What'd you think about that one? Oh, the Sky Bar was phenomenal. It's one of the most upscale rooftop lounges I've ever been to in the world. Traveled quite a bit in my lifetime, but just sitting atop a skyscraper. Yes, a skyscraper in Ghana. And looking (laughs) over the horizon of Accra, the capital city. And look at the night lights, the whole night. You can see the entire city line and what have you. It was just a beautiful, beautiful experience, what have you. And again, the people were so warm and endearing and weapon. And the libations were flowing. And they are heavy-handed. So <laughs> you got your <laughs> Yeah. And it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. Oh, yes. And, and the view up top uh, as well was great. The rooftop views. I mean, just seeing the city from there, it was nice. So I definitely would, definitely would recommend that as well. So that was kind of a little overview of our time in Accra. So let's talk about when we went to the Cape Coast. So we kind of ventured out, went to the Cape Coast. And this is when it, what do they say? When stuff gets real, you know, we got to visit the slave dungeons. And, you know, we are all African-Americans. And this is a part that we know about and kind of really details where we come from. The slave dungeons were... How can I say? It was an emotional time. You know, the things that our ancestors had to go through to get here. Tito, talk about your experience with some of the slave dungeons that we visited on the Cape Coast. Well, like I said, we went to the um, Cape Coast and visited some of the slave dungeons. I didn't know how to feel when I first got there. I didn't know people, you know, tell you things about them. You hear things about them from in history and things like that. But when you get there and see it and have your God through there, it's a very emotional, it's a very emotional, very emotional deal. You see what our people went through, see the conditions they had to be in. And I promise you that, you know, no one wants to live in those type of conditions that they were in. And it's something that, and after I came back and, and told everybody about it, they were just like so surprised and they just couldn't believe it. You know, I sent pictures home after we let, came out of there and, they, and some people cried when they saw those things. and. And it's just a case of like, you know, you're being down in those dungeons. And it's just a case of like, it was amazing to me being down in those dungeons. We were down to probably at the most 15 minutes or something like that. And then you come out and your eyes are just like hurting. And just imagine that your ancestors stayed down there for so long, for 
three to six months. And it's just a very, very emotional thing that you need to experience. And, and I promise you, you will learn something about your history going going there. You know, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. I admit, I thought I knew some things, but the guys we had guiding us through there, you know, they told us they were very informative. They knew a lot and they gave us a lot of history that I never knew of. I know I don't want to ramble on forever, but it's just something you need to experience as, you know, and see what how strong that our black people are and how strong that we were able to make it through that so that you can be here now. So um like so I'll, I'll let you guys go on because it's you can talk about that for, for hours, you know. So Scott, what was your feelings upon that the slave done? Man, let me tell you something, man. It's one thing to read, yeah. watch videos, to hear audio clips of homes before, but until you walk the same step that our ancestors walked, it's a totally different realization of some of the knowledge that you already have acquired or have. And the most moving thing to me was was not what I already knew, but hearing it from the voice of an African, Mm -hmm. hearing it from the descendant of Africans telling us a story from their viewpoint of what went down. And that was the most transcendent thing to me what had we all read our history books in middle school and high school, who's lucky that they even talked about things like this. But to hear it from the African side as well kind of does tell them so much knowledge that was lost throughout the centuries and centuries of uh, just lost knowledge or what have you. And it was just like, mm. not yeah. that I was miseducated or uninformed. I just got some additional information or what have you. And it was just so, so, so moving. Yeah, it, it, it was moving. And, and you know, in, the, in our country, we were going over this critical race theory of some things <laughs> and some things that are trying to be withheld from our education. And you're getting it straight from the source right there in Africa, exactly what was going on and, and what happened. And it's very eye opening. And just like I told everybody else, our lineage comes from a strong source of people to endure what they had to endure from sleeping and vomit to being in dungeons for two months to walking uh, 300 miles and sometimes getting eaten, not only by the animals in the jungle while you're already in shackles, to staying on that uh, ship for two months sailing across. Just to endure all that and still live, we come from a strong, strong set of people. So yeah, just like you said, the Cape Coast was very interesting. Let's talk about what we did as a community service while we were there. Let's talk about the school project. While we were there, we were able to basically meet up with a public school in the area and provide donations, uh, school donations. The looks on these kids' faces were amazing. So let's talk about a minute each about that one. Let's go with you, Tito. What did you think about the uh, project? Yeah, I thought that was a great experience for me because, like I say, because, you know, you, you see on TV about kids in these schools and things like that. And those kids, they all they wanted to just be loved and just hugged. And the thing about it, they're very smart kids. You know, people may look down on them because they're African kids, but those kids are very smart, you know, because we did some essays for them and did a little prize giving out to the kids that did the best essays. And which well, they were all deserving, but we had to pick a couple. But they were very smart kids and very intelligent and very attentive and seemed to want to learn. And, and you know, and it's just a case of well, I wish we could have done more there while we're there with the school, the kids, because there were some great kids there. They always just wanted to be around us and things like that. They were just, just happy to see some people like from like us 
that are doing well and just great kids. I, one of my top three experiences that I've been there and, and seeing that and, and seeing those kids you know, read from, you know, what they thought about COVID-19 because, you know, some of those kids are very informed. Some of those kids are more informed than us grown-ups here in the States. <laughs> they knew a lot about what's going on and how to what needs to be done. So it was a great experience just to see the kids and the, and the instructors there, see what they, they have to endure to, to get things done. So like I said, and that's something that I advise that you should do that too as well, but to go in there and spend some time with the kids in there and, and just visit, just sit there and just visit. Right. Yeah. I think it was a good opportunity for us. And we were able to not only make the donations, but meet some people and put some smiles on those kids' face. They, they just don't have the equipment, but they do have the mindset and everything else to compete with everything. You just don't have the equipment as far as the computers and things of that nature, but they are making the most out of it. All right. So we talked about the schools and everything. Scott, what was your opinion about our community service at the public school? Man, let, let, let me tell you, man, it was like this. After we had visited the quote-unquote Slave River, I saw myself the Slave River, where our ancestors took their last African bath before being taken to the slave dungeons after marching 300 miles, uh, some to their death. Mm-hmm. And then to visit that school. It's one thing to, I could literally hear the voices of our ancestors speak to me. But when we got to the school and see the voices and the faces and the souls of the future, that one day alone was my trip. That school, those kids, the way they mobbed us, I mean, literally tackled me when I pulled myself or I took a selfie. I mean, it was just amazing. And uh, as someone spoke to you earlier, they just want to be seen and loved. And mm-hmm. the intelligence level, no, they may not have the high-tech computers, the fastest internet service, what have you, but the intellect level was on point. And I was just so amazed and pleased. And uh, I felt loved by those kids at that school. It was just awesome. Right, right. I felt the same way. You know what? It felt like we were making a difference. Even with us just making a, a small visit there, a token of our appreciation, you felt that it wasn't just going in one ear out the other. When those students had that essay, it was mind-blowing to see how well they wrote those essays in a quick amount of time. And, and they, just uh, They put together a six, seven-paragraph essay and then orate them so well to their points of, I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, it definitely was, definitely was. And the smile on that, that young kid's, uh, young student's face when oh. he thought he wasn't going to win, uh, <laughs> win a prize and, and we gave him one at the end. Oh, man. And then not only that, the whole class cheer. It wasn't like they were getting that prize, but they were so happy for him that the whole class cheered. So that was just something that will always stick in my heart. So an, another thing that was stick in my heart was the naming ceremonies. The naming ceremony was something to me that brought us back home to our family. It was kind of what we missed being slaves and people don't understand what people outside of us really don't understand what they took away from us. We really don't have a sense of our true culture, basically only what people have said to us and to define our true lineage. So when you look and we did that naming ceremony and we were able to be kind of admitted into the true African family of where we came from, 
that was something. Scott, talk about your experience when it came to the name and ceremony. Absolutely. Upon arriving at the residential home or what have you, we were greeted with music and dance. It wasn't right. no, it, it was authentic. It wasn't no play play stuff. It was very, very, very authentic. And I was taken aback because I'm like, dang, am I worthy? <laughs> am I worthy of all this love I'm receiving right now? And the way they welcomed us in and put wreaths around our neck and embraced us, what have you. And then when we got into the uh, compound of the home, what have you, and the way that they respected the elders, and when the elders speak, and the elders spoke the person, so on and so forth, until the naming ceremony itself, when they gave us our name, based on when order of birth, based on year of birth, based on day of the week. And right. then after the naming ceremony was done, we given our, you know, our name or what have you, for the elder to say, if you ever in Accra again, whether you're coming to visit us or whether you're running from somebody. <laughs> and man, that, that was just so deep. Then we walked around the village and how the kids came and congregated around us and welcomed us as, as if people saw us, oh, those are our new family, what have you. It was just an amazing, amazing feat to me. Right. I agree. I agree. It, it was something that will always be within me. And it's something that I will never forget, you know, Tito, talk about your experience when it came to the na- name and ceremony. My name is Tito Nia Papa Swanee Smith. That's my <laughs> new name. I was going to ask everybody's name at the end of this now. <laughs> you learn a lot about that because I say, because, you know, that's something that was stripped from us because, you know, in Africa, they, you know, I, like I said um, that when you're born, what day you're born, and it means a lot, you know, in the family. And so your names mean a lot, and, and you're associated with this family. So, like, even if you're apart, away from there, they know what family you're associated with. Because, like I said, that, that's something that we were stripped of. We were, we were given our, you know, America's name as we're here, but it felt good to be able to go back and be able to have a name that we, we can be associated with there in the motherland and be able to just say, hey, that we're associated with a family there. And, and the amazing thing is that they live in a compound and right. it's a compound with all the family there. It's the aunts, uncles, little cousins, everybody, brothers. They're all living in this one compound and you get a real sense of family there. You know, that's something that, you know, we, we sort of lose a little bit here in, in here in America, but everybody doesn't have like their own single home and things like that. People move in when you get married, you're moving into your family's compound. You're, one, you're moving into one of the family's compound. Right. And that brings, that keeps it close. And I just thought about it. How one of the, uh, I think one of the family members said like, Hey, you know, when the kids come home, they don't have, the parents don't have to worry about it because somebody's going to be there. If uncle's going to be there, granddad's going to be there, auntie, somebody's going to be there to watch the kid. You know, so you don't have to worry about that, those things like that, because it's just a it's just a large family living there. It brings you back to the thing of family and being together. And it's a beautiful thing, you know, like saying, yeah. and I was very honored to, to have them bestow a name uh, name upon me so I can I can have that forever. Yeah. I'm Nilante Unkuko Baldwin. So I got my name all, all said to got it in there. It's funny. I think I'm going to put it on the shirt or something. I know I'm going to be saying it on the next time I go back. That's going to be my name when I do go to God. I ain't even gonna, you're not even going to know my English name. So, so I'm always going to go that name when I go up there. That is good. You know, it was even, you know. Give a block. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So <laughs> what was even better too is just the sense of family after the ceremony. It the joking, the fun, the you know when we were making the fufu and just the laughing and it, you know you just felt at home. I mean they really treated us like the family we were initiated in, you know, in a way. So, I mean, just to look, you know, the jokes, the cracking, the making of the food together, the compound was one thing. And then to walk around the neighborhood, that was something, you know, all the the kids and the people in the neighborhood, you're welcome to this neighborhood anytime you come back. So that was just amazing. I really felt that. Now, with all that being said, what were some of the things, and this is just open to anybody, what are some of the things that stood out to you during our visit to Ghana? I mean, good, bad, or indifferent? What were some things that kind of stood out to you? I'll go first, you know. I think one of the things that I hadn't planned for, and, you know, being an engineer, a mathematician, I'm very detailed and, you know, try to plan things out. But I wasn't aware to the fact that that Accra was such an international city. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, though Ghana may be, quote, unquote, a third world country, Accra is an international city. Folks from London, from Madrid, from United States, from so many African nations, Liberia, Lagos, over in Nigeria, so on and so forth. There were so many different people from so many different nations. They're in Accra, in the surrounding suburban areas of Accra. I was blown away. And it was just so amazing that all these people had roots or ties or business ties or whatever, back to Ghana, what have you. And I wasn't ready for that, but I was so well happy to receive it. Right, right. Yeah, I will go next then. I would say probably the connection between the first president, Kwame Nkrumah, I believe, I, I, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right, but the first president, not only you know with his ties to the U.S., but when we went to Independence Square to know that some of our civil rights leaders were there when Ghana gained their independence from the UK in 1957, which kind of sprung the civil rights movement here in the US. I think, you know, of course, the civil rights movement was moving. What'd you say? You remember that lady? What year did you say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're all the job signs. Like, yeah. what did you say? <laughs> right, right. She, uh, we, that's a whole side <laughs> note, folks, people. But uh, it was a lady there during our presentation. She kept on asking for the year. So, but <laughs> anyway, so in, night, yeah, 1957, I mean, they gained their independence. And you had, I think they said they had Martin Luther King in the audience there. So it just shows that what the people in Africa were doing to gain their independence from colonialism and imperialism well before it, you know, it even hit in the U.S. That was amazing in itself. That was a, a surprise to me, just learning that kind of firsthand. What about you, Tia? Um, one thing, well, on a side note, we get there in our hotel, there's like four people from Birmingham. That's on a side note. <laughs> I, get, I get four people from Birmingham in our hotel, but with well, me being from Birmingham. But one thing that was so very surprising to me, you know, like I never really knew of it, but it's how powerful the women are there. From what I understand, they're the number one gross money producers there in the country. And you see that the women, the hard work that the women are, are doing there. They're trying to provide for their families. And it's just everywhere that the women are there. Just, you know, they're amazing. They're walking around with those big things on their head. And they're trying to provide for their family. And that's one thing that was very, very surprising to me. You know, I thought it was, it was a wonderful thing, you know, to see that. 
that the women are just so powerful there. And you would think it's such a male-dominated, you know, country with how, you know, how men are looked at there. But the women are, they are a very strong presence there and they're, and they're generating a lot for their country there and for their families. That was a great thing I did see, you know, see there. And, you know, it's a great thing to see there. Yeah, I think one thing I learned, too, is there's no welfare system there. So everybody yeah. has to do their part. So uh, commerce is major. When we were driving, we you don't have to get off on the highway to uh, go get a, some chips and pop. You just stop. <laughs> and somebody's going to sell you something. So commerce is big there. A lot of hard work to keep money flowing because you can't depend on government assistance. So uh, they do a lot of work, uh, hard work to, to keep families moving and, and keep stomachs fed. That was one thing yeah. I think. For me, the probably the only thing I would say they probably need to work on is maybe the highways outside of Accra. So I didn't know about potholes with no snow, but uh, hopefully, you know, we could they can work on those little things. But that was probably my own thing as far as outside of Accra. Anything uh, with yeah. you guys? Yeah, like I got tag, tag team on that. You know, <laughs> the roads. Wow. I was just like, you know, and we always wonder. Well, I guess the guys told us we need to be off the road. Our driver said, we need to be off the road before it gets dark. <laughs> we need to be back where we at. You see it, you know, because you always wonder why, like, hey, you can ride at night. We got lights and everything like that. But you definitely want to be off that road before before nightfall yeah. because there's no telling what kind of pothole you're going to hit. You might be stranded out there. So those things I think they really, really need to work on. Yeah, get those potholes. Yeah. Another thing that moved me, or should I say stood out to me, was what I call the merger between technology and culture. If you were to take away the cell phones and the Wi-Fi and just look at the people and what was going on, you think you was in Ghana 100 years ago, 150 years ago, just the tribalism, just the way people communicated, the way they were cooking and, and networking with each other. And that non-loss of tribalism, that non-loss of community, it was just amazing to me. And then you look in the right hand and there is a, iPhone 10XR, <laughs> whatever. Just the merger of uh, culture and technology, I was kind of taken aback by that. And uh, it was pretty amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. And another thing is just all the expats that we met from America who have businesses there. When we got down, when we were able to sit down with some of the owners of resorts and they own land in Ghana, Americans that have, it's some neighborhoods that are all American expats. So uh, you'll see that there. So it's just just so much. It's different from any other country that I have visited so far. So uh, it was a great experience for me. Glad to kind of experience it with you all. And last question here, would you guys go back? Absolutely. I I think the only mistake I made is that I do the uh, five-year visa. So I got to get me another visa. But it is what it is. I'm going back multiple times, multiple times per year because um, just the experience and love and, and the spirit, spirit actually of the country or whatever really, really took me to another level. So okay. I, I got to go back. What about you, Tito? Yeah. I would definitely go again, like I said, because I want my family, my family to go. I want other people to experience it because it's something that you want. And like I said, I'm glad, like I said, Bell, he's my cousin. It's something we can sort of have a t- sense of our answers together were there. So it's just a case of like, I would love to, you know, for my family to be able to go and experience there with them, you know, and so maybe some of my elderly, you know, family members just to experience it, to see it, because I just felt different when I got back. I just felt like a different feeling in me, a different spiritual feeling, because it made me feel like I'm a stronger person because 
of what my ancestors went through and, I, and I've got to do better. And I think a lot of people here need to see that because to see what your ancestors lived through and went through to have, so, so you have a chance to be here living, have life today, you, you need to see it. And like I said, I would love the opportunity to go back because I feel that there was a lot of things we probably didn't even see, you know, so we, it's more things that we can see there and experience. So yeah, I would definitely I, you know, go back like I said. I agree. It's definitely, we did a lot. I think we did everything from sun up to sundown in our time frame, but I still think it's a whole a lot more. I don't think we even really touched the northern part of Ghana. We did east and west. We had to ch- tackle the north part of Ghana as well or, on our next visit. So with that being said, I want to thank you guys for taking time out here on the uh, podcast and uh, getting this interview in. I know it was kind of hard <laughs> going back and forth, but I truly appreciate it. And once I post it, I'll make sure I share it to you. But for everybody, all our listeners, make sure that you look into the notes so you can look at some of the links that we'll have there with the pictures and some other videos as well. So thanks again, guys. And um I would say aquaba, that means welcome, but I forgot what the word means when it says goodbye. (laughs) Hey, busy professionals. Thank you for listening to the You Deserve a Luxury Vacation podcast. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. This helps other busy professionals like yourself find the podcast. If you want help planning a luxury vacation, please visit ShowtimeTravel.com. Also, you will be able to get more valuable tips and behind-the-scenes footage by following me on social media. You can find me on YouTube under Showtime Travel, LinkedIn under Belvin Baldwin II, Instagram under Showtime Travel, and my personal Luxury Travel by Belvin. Thanks again, and remember, you deserve a luxury vacation. Thank you.